Hello, hello, your regular returning station on Stationery is back. If you came to hear about every ink in the kitchen sink, you're starting in the right place. Yes, yes, it's the nib section. We are at the end of year run here with the official podcast of uh, Fountain Pens Oceania. It is the last few drops in the reservoir, the last few pages in the planner. Getting some final stuff out of the way before we bring our 2018 content to you. Um, I'm going to introduce you right off the bat to our hosts, our collection of uh, voices for the evening. We have one of our two audio techs, the man behind the desk, Patrick Antolovich, once again. Hello again. Uh, We also have joining us through uh, a series of tubes, my friend uh, Max Schumacher. How are you, Max? Good to be back. Once again, friend of the show and ever-generous benefactor, Sharon, rejoining the panel. Hello. And uh, as always, I'm Chucks Montano. Look, I'm just happy to be here. I don't really have a thing to say today. (laughs) (laughs) So let's kick off what we're writing with. You may have heard in previous episodes, we're going to be spending a little more time on this because that is kind of what the show is about. So let's start with Sharon. What have you got for us today? So today I have a DuPont Fidelio, and I'm going to butcher this so badly, so I apologize in advance. Uh, the interrential finish. Basically, it's a fancy word for lacquer that changes color. It is gorgeous. It is a dark blue purple lacquered pen which actually changes to a deep red in certain lights and angles this pen has been with me for a really long time and was actually one of the first high-end pens i picked up and the first pen i ever bought from peters of kensington this pen's been with me for about i'd say nine years now it's always been a fabulous writer dupont has some of the most lovely pleasant nibs to write with they're always quite rigid but they're always smooth and they have just the perfect amount of flow i can't gush enough about this one and yeah a lot of people have nicknamed this one the mardi gras pen due to its color changing um abilities it's uh it looks like the way they describe the color of magic in terry pratchett books <laughs> octarine yeah, yeah, that's the one. It's rather, it's drastic, isn't it? And that it is seems to funky. It seems yeah. to follow it, like yeah. where I'm going to pass. It's being passed it. around the table. Gorgeous. D- oh, wow. Dupont's very well known for its Chinese lacquer finishes, mm. and this is just, I think, one of the best examples that yeah. I could show. Tab as, has definitely spoken on them before. Yeah. As someone who doesn't own it, I would describe it as unfair, <laughs> <laughs> and extremely unfair because uh. it is no longer in production. Uh. You can't get one. Mm. There you go. Max, I'll have you uh, take second rank on that one. Um, at the moment, I'm using a Pilot Custom Heritage 92, which I know you're a big fan of. Oh, uh, mine's got a fan. fine medium cursive italic, and it's currently got the uh, Sailor Yamadori in it, because uh, I bought a bottle of that on a whim, and I'm really, really enjoying it. The rumored to be cancelled Yamadori. Which isn't good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, details of its demise are <laughs> greatly exaggerated. Yeah. Patrick, what have you got for us today? Uh, nothing interesting, depending on who you're talking to. Uh, this is just a Lamy Vista, except I've got it currently fitted with a 1.1 stub. It's currently filled with a cartridge of Lamy Neon Coral. The interesting thing about this one is that no one seems to want to use it, despite how nice it is. Like, countless times I've been to meets, I've met up with other people. They've always just handed me, like, a pack 
of these cartridges. It's just a really, really nice ink because one of the things about it is that it's quite translucent. You can still see like a lot of like the markings of printed ink underneath it. So you can still see lines. It doesn't blot out over the top. It's really, really quite crisp and clear. And it really shines when put through a stub. So when it, when it goes on it, and it's still drying, it looks similar to Lucky Orange. It does, from, yeah. But it doesn't dry like that. Mm. It dries a little paler. So huh. fun fact, if you want to get your hands on a bottle of Lamy Neon Coral, but because it's limited edition and sold out, oh, okay. a Pelican 4001 Brilliant Red is a dupe. Oh, okay. I'll keep that in mind. Okay. And people hate it because it's not really red. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is more like Me a sort included. of a peachy orange colour. Yeah. It goes more peach sort of the, the more time you leave it. Yeah. At least on the, the copy paper that I've got here. I'll keep that in mind, although I'm not about to run out of cartridges anytime soon, because <laughs> people keep giving them to me. I am writing with today something that I didn't think I would get. For context, I love the color yellow across the board, and uh, I had a bunch of people show me their yellow pens a few months ago, including our producer, Diana, who taunted me with her Omas vodka lemon uh, from the cocktail series, said, oh, I think you'd like this. It's not for sale. (laughs) Uh, I managed to find one, and it was secondhand, but in very, very good condition. There's there's a little bit of scratching on the inside cap. I paired it with the P.W. Ackerman Gele Ockervan Franz. I I think it's in the right order, but it's uh, one of the Dutch Masters yellows. I think it is... An almost perfect dupe of Mont Blanc Golden Yellow, but better behaved. Much better behaved, and if anything, there's a little bit more orange in it. I'm a massive fan of the ink, the pen, and the pairing. Let's go on to our mailbag section and reviews. Sharon, you want to take this one? Okay. We got an email recently from a listener up in Canada, Ben C. Ben writes, Good afternoon. I am a relatively new fountain pen enthusiast, and I have thoroughly enjoyed your podcast i do have one suggestion though when i look on itunes your podcast is listed as having explicit content i almost didn't download it because of this but i'm glad i took a chance on it unless i'm missing something i have yet to notice anything explicit in your shows okay maybe a couple mildly suggestive jokes at times but nothing that should warrant an explicit label and i would hate for others to miss out on your podcast because of your explicit label Anyhow, thanks for a great show, and I'll keep on listening up here in Canada. I have never heard a more stereotypically Canadian response, and I love it. I genuinely love it. Um, Ben, I'm so glad you sent that to us. I don't know who put the explicit label on, or if that's just a Um, thing. That that was me. That was Diana. That was me. I'm going to have to take the blame for the explicit label. When I was registering the podcast on iTunes, I might have been a little overcautious. Um, I put the explicit label on just in case we decided to explode with swear words, as we tend to do sometimes. And when she's we looking me right. And she's I'm looking, looking at, at me Patrick. Right in the eye. It explodes into f bombs. It was <laughs> only a subtle one. I mean, five is more you know. like a, an, a shaped charge. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm sorry, Ben. I'm sorry, any listeners who did not immediately click on the podcast because of the explicit label. I will try to individually alter the explicit, non-explicit signs so that only episodes that do have swear words or explicit content will now show the explicit label. Unfortunately, I can't do anything about the general label on iTunes. Mm. Apologies, we're Australian. These things just slip out. (laughs) Or maybe we should just get more explicit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Well, maybe we should do an after dark show. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. Yeah, let's we'll, do that for the week. I'll probably end up hosting that one. Odd numbered, odd numbered shows are explicit. Even numbered shows are safe. That's Continue. all for the mailbag this episode. We're gonna go on to our memorable pen moments of 2017. We're gonna discuss our favorite new releases, new acquisitions, and any memorable moments in the fountain pen community that have come up. I'm gonna start off with Fountain Pen Oceania starting. Great time. Big one. Great time. Just a lot of people who love to contribute content to the community coming together. And um, every month we write up our own suggestions for quotes of the day. You know, a lot of people get involved. And, you know, the people that do get involved cycle in and out. It's probably one of the more active groups out of any of my Facebook ones. Patrick, what about you? Any new releases? New releases. I myself aren't really on the radar for new releases. Although one of the things I will say that is ongoing that I've actually been a bit more key to, Mass Drop is a bit of a mess for a lot of people. And so Regal, in particular, as a company, I describe it as Jin Hao, but not Chinese. They're very low-end pens, brass-bodied, but still high quality and very good. Recently, I picked up two Regal Lane pens off Mass Drop. I ordered them about two months ago, and they finally arrived. They're both in fine. Both of them I got for around about $30 only, but they perform delightfully. Honestly, I reckon they would make really, really good gift pens, but if you really just want to have a pen on hand that you don't really care about too much but still looks fancy, Regal is the way you need to go. Regal is it. Max, what about you? Uh, what's your memorable pen moment of uh, 2017? What's what's your standout? Um, I think Pelican Hubs and the Newcastle Meet, which I had a hand in organising both of those events, were, were really big um, for me this year. Trying to set up Newcastle as its own thing next to Sydney, because I love Sydney Meets and it's a shame I can't make them. But having something local, which I still haven't got around to organising another one, honestly, which is a shame. But I want to I want to do more Newcastle Meets in the future. And something. getting them off the ground was a good thing. Yeah. Get it keep it local for the Novocastrians as uh, as yeah. they like to refer to themselves. <laughs> really? Okay. Yes. Two three two three represent. Uh, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> Sharon, what about you? What's your uh, memorable moment of the year? Um, so let me take over and reminisce a little bit on 2017. So I've had a couple of memorable moments. The ones which really stick out for me were the anniversary uh, Sydney pen meet. It was at Hearts Pub. There were so many people there that we ended up taking over an entire floor of a very large pub. We overflowed from the initial area that we were allocated, and it was so good to see, I think, about 60 or 70. It was closer to 75, yeah. There was a lot. It was a lot of pen people all in one place. It was bizarre. How many people did we predict for that one? Like 25 or something small? I think think Brian booked it for 25 or something. It was our first meet as FPO. Yeah. And we had a lot of newcomers. So that for me was just, it blew my mind. I didn't know there were that many people in Sydney who were very much into the uh, fountain pen habit. The other one, and I'm going to let my inner fangirl come out here, uh, was when Leo Fock of Inquisitive Quill on uh, YouTube, he came to uh, Australia, swung by Sydney, and we had a mini-meet with him. It was quite stalkerish beforehand. He posted, does anyone want to go for a fountain pen meet? And I said, I love your work. Absolutely follow the channel. Yeah, and didn't respond to my message. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> it took him about a day and a half to respond to me. However, since then, we've become pretty good friends. He is fabulous person and is pretty much exactly the same as how he is on his YouTube channels. And pretty active on FPO And very active, yes. He is a real enabler of (laughs) Japanese inks and he's probably the main reason why my Japanese ink collection has exploded. Thank you for the um, hedgehog drawings, Leo. So 
lastly, I have, no judgments please, this year I have acquired 82 <laughs> new pens which have stayed in the collection. Oh. Good effort. Funny Ooh. enough, the way that this is broken down was that I acquired the most number of sailor pens at 29. Thank you, uh, Leo, for the enabling. Thank you, Diana, for the enabling. Thank you, Penhouse, for all the glittery releases. Oh, gosh. I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes to Penhouse because I think I have their entire collection. And that was followed on pretty quickly by Pilot. I acquired 20 Pilots this year. A couple of others that showed up on the list, a few odd ones. Karen Dash, I acquired one new Karen Dash at the beginning of the year. 10 Mont Blancs, 10 Nakaya. <laughs> these are some hefty numbers. And yeah. And you kept all of them. And these are the ones that I have actually kept. And I was, and I was thinking those Pilot, that number would include all your Pilot Petites. No, it does not include any pilot petites. Right. My I God. keep them out of the count. <laughs> but you can uh, but you can quit anytime you want, right? I can quit. Uh, yeah, I'm going pen free. I went pen free for six weeks recently. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. An achievement. Uh, quite we'll to, an achievement. We'll have to keep a running tally on that one anytime we go back to the show. Amazing. So throughout the year we've had a lot of questions posed to us and we try to sort of knock them out in a row but we don't always have the time in the episode that we've got so we do have a segment here called lingering questions it's probably not going to be a return segment it might just be a wrap-up thing but these are all the questions that we didn't get time to come around to that we still thought were pretty important to come back to so you know that you guys could hear something about it the first one is from maria yen uh, and it's how to convert non fountain pen users what are our conversion tactics what is the uh fountain pen evangelism strategy i don't know about uh the rest of the table my preferred option is to literally just have a tough as nails like steel nib pen something that's very difficult to spring and the words that i throw around very very readily are light touch like just drag it don't press down and to give them a pen that you know if that were to happen that it wouldn't bother you too much I think the similar thing happened to Joanne, who has been on the podcast before. Uh, she was converted, and uh, a few other people. But the, that's that's my tactic. Any anyone else? Usually, it's not the sort of thing of either want to feel fancy and just kind of th- shower them in random <laughs> pens. What I do in particular that was is uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> I did not like that. Um, what I typically do is I just write in front of them using whatever some of the fancier ones, so forth, and say, "Hey, does this sort of thing look cool to you?" And you just hand them a gin how and watch it go. It's really just kind of throwing them the gauntlet. It's like this is what it is. It's pretty obvious, but you can do a lot of real cool stuff with it. Of course, you don't let them know that it will absorb their soul, but you can just show them that it's really, really enjoyable. You just show them you can quit anytime you want yes as proven by Sharon <laughs> six weeks Maybe don't and show not them quite counting <laughs> let's restart that counter yeah. don't don't show them the collection no <laughs> well uh I'll, I'll put this one over to Sharon and Max how have people reacted to others using fancy pens the uh the good the bad and the um ugly that's also from Maria Yan. how have people reacted to you to finding out that you use I think we're gonna have Two very different responses here. Um, so for me, it, people haven't actually reacted poorly to me using fancy pens because I've been doing it for so long. And usually they don't say anything if I give them a nice handwritten note. And I'm a big proponent of the handwritten note. A nice handwritten note can go miles. And because people are quite um, comfortable seeing me 
use fountain pens and writing these uh, notes for them, they usually react pretty well. The ugly side, we can see, is um, when they ask how much does that pen cost? At which point I'll just yes. turn away and walk off and say, oh, isn't that nice? <laughs> I, I do a blanket. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> what about you, Max? Oh, I've had some interesting responses. Just the other day, I, my boss needed to sign some paper, so I held out a gold-plated Parker 45 that I own. <laughs> and she's gone, oh, no, I can't use that. It's too fancy. I, at another point, I was at, while I was at uni, um, I had my Lamy 2000 out, and the girl sitting next to me said, your handwriting is not good enough to need. <laughs> <laughs> my God! Uh... And I was just like, Wow, thanks. No, that that, right. I, that recently happened to me with a girl who I, whose handwriting I complimented. And she said, uh, when I said we have to get you a fountain pen, she said, yeah, my writing will be better than yours. <laughs> uh, so, you know, I, I don't know what the, there is in the non-user community, but it's rude and I feel triggered. <laughs> <laughs> this one comes from Diana. And it's uh, about anybody that has any buyer's remorse. Is there any retailer, distributor, repairer horror stories? I'm going to try and keep names out of this one for me anyway. For the most part, I haven't had too much trouble. But at least for service or, you know, having to follow up. But usually I like not having to do that in the first place. Um, so I have received a pen uh, from that had a custom grind on it that I found very finicky. It needed a particular angle. It was on a Lamy 2000 that already had kind of like a, a well-established reputation for needing a sweet spot. And if you add a custom grind onto that, and I felt it was not up to the quality of what I paid for. I did end up moving it on to someone that enjoyed it very much and it suited their, their writing style a lot better, but I'm glad that it was moved on. The wink. I've ranted about this one so much. Uh, this will be good. Oh my god, this thing is literally like a hundred dollar glass tipped cartridge converter pen. It masquerades as a piston filler. It's really not. It's a lie within a pen. And honestly, like as far as glass tips go, it's horrible. It's sharp on certain edges, and it's it's so finicky. Like you can have like needle thin lines, then suddenly it starts splorching everywhere as if it's vomiting ink on the page. I actually did finally use it to write with wine, and it was really funky. It was beautiful. <laughs> but there is no reason to get the wink for that. How the, much was it? One hundred dollars for this thing. USD, like, AUD. I think it was USD actually. Yeah. Oh. AUD. Yeah. A, a, AUD. And two weeks after we got it, it dropped to 60. Like, it's been on mass drop multiple times. People seem to like the idea, and I'm telling you right now. Don't. I... <laughs> Splurge. I've been warned. But I still have it for whatever reason. And not only that, it's also a longer pen, so it doesn't fit in anything, and you can't carry it anywhere. <laughs> God damn it. We're, really We're going to cut him off yeah. right now. Section Otherwise, by section. before we really start to get into expletives. <laughs> yeah. Gonna... I'll talk about something I, I bought. I bought a pen on Etsy, which was stupid of me. Oh, I bought why? a vintage pen on Etsy, <laughs> pen which was pen? really stupid of me. I bought a vintage piston filler on Etsy. Oh, no. Yeah, no. It's unrestorable. <laughs> I've contacted so many. Yeah, Etsy respects that. Uh, it's a Lamy have... 27, for those who want to know. PayPal protection, right? Buy protection. Yeah, I think I did. I, I tried to make a claim because I said it would cost $300 to fix this pen. 
and the seller obviously didn't want to, anything to do with that. Uh, so, yeah, this is just sitting as a museum piece. The nib was missing tipping. It's full of India ink and the piston seal is gone. It's just the worst pen you could have ever bought. That, that can be the pen that you keep handing to your boss and then she goes, oh, no, that's too fancy. <laughs> Uh, well, let's go to let's go to top five inks. I'm actually I, I want one ink from everybody. Um, oh, okay. I have five. Oh, you though. oh you have five. I All right. Well, five. we're starting with you. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> All right. We Max, came prepared. All right. I'm gonna leave this to Max and Sharon then. Alrighty. My top five inks, and they were a bit of a mixed bag. I thought they'd all be sailor inks, but <laughs> apparently not. So number five on my list is the new Mont Blanc Saint Exupery um, ink, the Encre du Desert. Lovely ink. Like that one a lot. And it was an unexpected like. It goes down quite uh, muted and dusty purple. But I've got had it in my Pelican M600 for a while. And now it's like this dark, almost lilac color. Mm. Very, very nice. I like it as well. Number four on my list is... So um, we are ascending in yeah, rank. Okay. Yeah. Number four on my list is an ink that you can't get. Um, so I'm going to preface it with that. You just can't get it. Um, because I believe it is now all sold out. It was a limited edition. It's Sailor Mitsukoshi Hana Hiraku. It is the most eye-searingly bright pink ink that you'll ever see, which has fabulous orangey golden sheen to it. It's like a better version of neon coral because it's actually pink. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean. it's Sailor. And it's Sailor. And it, it's beautiful. Um, it, it'll make you blind if you look at it for too long. Maybe that's why it was discontinued. <laughs> no, it was a limited edition run. <laughs> so um, number three is uh, an all-time favourite, Sailor Tokiwa Matsu. So this is a foresty pine green, I think it's called. It's such a unique ink because it's not really bright green, it's not quite moss green, it's got a bit of dirty brown to it, and it's got vibrant, vibrant red sheen to it. Number two is another green. I was really into greens this year, surprisingly. I'm usually into... Uh, blues but this year I was very impressed with the new Monteverde range the gemstone range and the standout for me out of that was Monteverde olivine which is about as dark a green as you can get it reminds me a lot of Noodler's Zivago but with a lot more depth to it and a lot more blue toned green in there and my favourite for the year, I think I've mentioned it in previous episodes, is Sailor Kobe number 17, Shioya Blue, mm. which looks almost like Sultan, but has a bit more brightness and vibrancy to it. It has stronger sheen. In my mind, it reminds me a lot of Bay State Blue with how vibrant it is and how well-behaved it, well, on the opposite side of Bay State Blue, how well-behaved mm. it is. Max, I'm going to give you the other five. So uh, number five is Diamine Autumn Oak. It's Apache Sunset for sensible people. It's a really nice uh, yellow-orange. It shades well. It doesn't sheen, but I don't think that's a concern with oranges. There are very few oranges I like. It's between this uh, Sailor Apricot and uh, Mont Blanc Lucky Orange in oranges that I like, and it's the one that gets the most use for me. Number four is Yamadori. It's pretty much one of the best teals ever made. It's fire and ice done sensibly. It actually flows in most pens. There's, there's a one lot of these. episode where Aiden is not here. He can't agree with there's, you. There's a, there's, there's a lot of these, uh, it's this ink but sensible. Uh, yeah. I, I better hear three more of those. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Number three is Sutin, which is Con Pecky for, for hipsters. Um, 
<laughs> I like it. It shades well. It sheens well. Uh, and in the right pen, it's just stunning. Aurora Blue is my blue of choice, number two. I don't have anything really to compare that to. It's just standard. It works. And number one for me has to be left field. It is Carandash Vibrant Green, uh, despite the hexagonal bottle, $50 price tag. Um, it's one of the few greens I like to put in vintage pens. It's safe, it's shading, and yeah, I'm really happy to use Carindash Vibrant Green. Patrick, you've got a list of five. All right, coming at you quick. Number five is Diamine Steel Blue. It's more of a teal, but it's a darker teal, and depending on how you handle it, it just it's quite vibrant without having to be really, really garish. Number four is Edelstein Tanzanite. It's the one I always have within my Pelican Ductus. I don't have to think about it. As soon as I run out, I just another cartridge goes in. It's really nice and quick. Number three is Mont Blanc BMW Blue. It's really 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 vibrant really rich and it's one of the ones that wows a lot of the non-fountain pen users as well in particular also it shades really really nicely when you leave it in the pen for a while number two is another staple Kueco red it's actually red it's not some sort of weird muted orange it's not some funky pink it's, it's red it's not neon coral well, that, I, I crossed that out for number real, five admittedly. real reds are difficult yeah real yeah. reds are very difficult but Kueco red is one of the ones that just doesn't go wrong it also shows up as Kueco ruby red as well I should say and number one this is my good night sweet prince bookbinder snake ink red belly black it's my favorite of all time and it is now it. recently discontinued and i am sad out of here i'm only going to mention uh one Your favorite yellow my favorite yellow <laughs> and it is um, always yellow well okay well well that i'll mention too so the uh Gelioka van franz from the pw ackerman which is a great super well behaving yellow um looks and behaves better than um the Mont Blanc Golden Yellow. And the other one is uh, Hiroshi Zikusuro, which I think is not talked about a lot. Uh, it goes on blue and it dries kind of greeny. I, I got it in the 15 mil sampler pack and I am sad that I did not get What's more. What's that one called? Uh, Suro. Suro, yeah. It's like a darker version of Mont Blanc Twilight Blue Hour. Tokyo. Twilight Blue. Uh, S-Y-O-R-O. Uh, big question. Um, what makes a vintage pen? This one is from Quentin Bell. Uh, when when is a pen vintage, or uh, what makes a pen vintage? I'm glad we don't have a bigger panel for this one because this this oh, could boy. take a lot of time. <laughs> this would be fun. Yeah, uh, Max, do you wanna do you wanna start off on that one? Well, vintage generally means older than fifty years. If we're talking in a general definition. Uh, I also think that the pen has to be out of production to be a vintage pen. So, for example, the Lamy 2000 just turned 50, but I don't think it as itself is a vintage pen. You might be able to get a vintage Lamy 2000, but it, it is not a vintage pen. The, model the Schaefer Targa yeah. could be considered a vintage pen, but they discontinued that, I think, in the late 90s. So I'm not so sure... Um, Something like the Parker Duofold. Yeah, that's a vintage pen, um, even though they do modern reproductions of it. I'm, vintage I'm, is, is hard to talk about. Yeah, I'm curious about how much yeah. um, the designs of like a lot of the big Japanese pen companies have changed. I'm not super well-versed on the history of the Sailor ones. I know that... They're really interesting. They're worth the read. If you get onto Bruno Tort's blog... You can just go for days reading about vintage sailors and pilots. I will take a look. Um, well, which... pilot, pilot was what I, I've, I've definitely seen a change in pilots just looking for vintage pilots. There's a massive change. I am not a great person to have on for a, what makes a vintage pen because most of mine are modern. The only qualifier that I have for my pens is that some of them are out of production and that's it. Uh, I don't think I have any older than 20 years. So my brain wants to categorize this um, specifically. So we're saying that it is not an, a both thing. So it's either out of production 
or 50 years old or above, or is it both? It has to be 50 I, years I, I older think both, and out of production. Honestly, yeah, yes. It's a little bit fuzzy, isn't it? Oh, it's definitely a grey area. There, there, there are pens that people talk about that there's no question about it. You know, like when people talk about Parker 51s or Vacuumatics, mm-hmm. there's no umming and eyeing about Well, that's what I mean. It's definitely vintage because it's out of production. Yeah. The model is no longer made and it's over 50 yeah. years old. And then when you Everything else is questionable. apply that sliding scale. Yeah. yeah. Okay. 50% I, vintage. <laughs> yeah. I don't think we're going to get much further with this question, guys. <laughs> I, we can table this for the next time Tav is on or something. Coming up, 2018... For those of you in the know, is going to be Pilot's 100th anniversary year. So the question from uh, Karen Singh is, what do we expect is going to come up? What well, what do we think? I don't think it's going to be a Veep. We haven't gotten any insider information, despite one of the producers being working closely with Pilot. Is that Max Hobson? <laughs> <laughs> oh boy! I'm not going to live that down. Am I? Um, Sorry, Max. I don't think it's going to be a beef. Uh, I don't know. I think it was really? for the 90th year. They did a maple wood leaf. Was that a maple wood? It was like mm. a beige wood, like a light colored wood with gold trim. They mm. did that for 90th, I want to say, which was the first limited edition VP that mm. I, they had done with a gold trim, actually. I hope they come out with a nice mm. Maquillet pen. Yeah, so I, I think for 100 years, they'll probably come out with a couple in mm. different price ranges. So Pilot's always been quite That'd good be in giving you, you collectibles and limited or special editions in various price ranges. So I think there will be something in the mid, mid-range, and that might be the a vanishing point. I think there will be some uh, simple uh, maquia, such as similar to the one that they did for the... Say was it the ninetieth, the Toki? It was like the black with the raden on the ends and like the mm. glitter on the center. And then they'll do something like absolutely obnoxiously <laughs> expensive, but everyone will lust for it. It might have like a size one hundred nib or something. <laughs> <laughs> and Ian will that, probably get it. Ian will definitely get it. <laughs> probably. Anyway, I, probably not a hundred nib, but it'll be a big nib on whatever it is that they produce on the upper end. That's that's just my speculation. Yeah, I, I I can't wait because I. I th- Pilot has the biggest market share in the pens I've acquired. Maybe not necessarily the pens I've kept. I like everything that Pilot does at the mid-range level. I think they do that really well. Yeah, so, I mean, I've acquired, what, 20 Pilots this year, and all of them are well within the mid-range. I think that's where they excel. Mm. Next is from Ian Ronald. Uh, The best cheapies. Uh, We want a fountain pen under $10. We've talked a lot about our you know our, our beginner and our uh you know our gin house and everything one of the ones i'm not sure if it was talked about is i hear great things and i can't attest to this myself i hear great things about the muji fountain pen good for the price that it comes at but again haven't road tested that myself haven't tried one the other one that gets um voiced around is the daiso fountain pen Di- yeah. the daiso does like a, mm. i think two of them differently mm. like one of them's more one of them's more marketed as like a calligraphy pen the other one's designed to be just like ooh, fancy fountain pen um but I think Denise and I have gotten both, and they've been okay. Like it, um, not as good as a Jin Hao. No, it's actually worse than a Jin Hao. Yeah. But you know, for what it is, you know, it feels really light. It feels plasticky. Feels like you can feel like on the plastic, it's some of the sharp edges from the injection mold. It's a bit mm. iffy um, at best. Pelican but, on the two hundred still have injection molding lines, so yeah, on, <laughs> on sailors as well. Pilot, this in some cases, have a <laughs> Yeah. 
Look, um, I, I don't think $10 is the best floor for a fountain pen. That's true. I don't think it, it's like when you're getting a nice bottle of wine. Sometimes that little extra $10 takes you into a yeah. way better range than trying to sit around at $15. I mean, some of those really cheap fountain pens are cheaper than a good ballpoint. I yeah. would pay like 5 $6 for a ballpoint if it worked well. Actually, something that was mentioned very, very recently that I'm actually looking to get my hands on was there was an entire set of multicolored Jinhao fountain pens in the shape of sharks. It's only via eBay as far as I know, and like the entire set of like, what, 10 of them is only $13. So technically, it's less than $10 per pen. You, you want to get them early? Yeah. You know, before they jump the shark. <laughs> <laughs> I should have seen that one coming. <laughs> Jinhao in general, like it's the type of thing you buy in bulk and just throw at people, uh, but they actually perform really well. Like yeah, value only, for money. Mm, but the only thing is, people complain is like, oh, it doesn't have much character. Well, it's a Jinhao. So yeah, I, I don't think ten dollars is is the best floor, but you can you can find serviceable stuff um, under that. Matching ink to pens from William Scott. Do you always put matching or contrasting ink in pens? Great question. Uh, <laughs> today, always matching. I think my general policy, and I think uh, Max has touched on this before, is that black goes in any pen, and a black pen can have any kind of ink. And a demo can have any kind of ink. Correct. Yeah. But yeah, when you have pens policy. that are specific colors, you're semi-limited to the surrounding At least the palettes. general family for me. Mm. Yeah. If I know I'm going to a meet, I will deliberately ink up a particular pen, for the want of a better term, the wrong colour. Just to watch people attempt <laughs> yeah. to use it and just sort of go, Ugh, what it's are you doing? As soon me. as they start writing with it. Just uh, just for the shock value. Yeah, but like a lot of the pens I have in particular are either black or silver, and so I tend to typically like just use whatever colour from there. Although, I will actually admit, like the one thing that I always stand by, I have a lime green metropolitan that will always be... It's going to be more difficult now that it's discontinued, but it's always going to be um, Bookbinder's Snake Ink um, Emerald Boa. Until it, oh. Oh, until it runs out. You run yeah. out of Yeah, I need, to, I need to hoard that as soon as I can. Now on the complete opposite side of you, Sharon. I like blue. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I like blue ink, so I, te- I tend to put blue ink in any pen. So blue is my new black. Right. Um, in general, I, I would, I'm not limited to matching inks to pens, although currently, now that I look at what I've got today, all of it's matched. However, I'm of the opinion that blue ink should go and can go in absolutely any colour pen, including that lemon. Oh, uh, I think I think I think blue would look great in this, uh, but that's not what I got it for. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Max, do you have anything else you want to add apart from me quoting you? Uh, not really, no. Actually, I do have one exception, and it's a Lamy that I deliberately stained with Bay State Blue. <laughs> like, it's a Vista that I I had a bottle of Bay State Blue, and I thought, uh, how am I going to get rid of this? I know, I'll soak my Lamy demonstrator in it. <laughs> so that gets filled with whatever I want to do stupidly broad calligraphy with. Is that child abuse? Because that... it has a 2.3 millimeter stub on it. Which is not stock. Um, I ground God. that. Right. Well, look, I, I hope, listeners, that we've answered some of your lingering questions. Um, we will tally up any more that we get given, and I'm sure that they will be and tacked the on. Segment? Yeah, the, the, I'm sure it'll return at some point. We're going to move on to planning and goals. Now, with a new year coming up, we're, we're trying to get organized. Uh, some of us are going to be more successful than others. But what, what planners and organizational tools are we going to be using for 2018? And, you know, do we have any fountain pen goals for that? Sharon, you look like you've probably got a head start on us. <laughs> trying to go dry? Uh, <laughs> um, there, there's an ongoing joke that last year over the new year, I went completely alcohol-free. I went dry since... Um, 
mid-December last year and I lasted all the way to the end of Feb. I don't think that's going to happen this year for some odd reason. <laughs> I've gotten a head start already. But planning-wise, I'm shaking up the way that I'm approaching planning for next year. I've always had a paper planners. Um, so I think I've mentioned in the past I've used an A5 Hobonichi. Now I'm finding that I cannot keep track of all the appointments and meetings I have in a day and I'm more and more reliant on just my Google Calendar or um, my iPhone Calendar for that. So my needs have really been slimmed down to like to-do lists on a weekly basis or more of an overarching approach to what I have planned for the week. So the Hobonichi Weeks is my go-to for next year as well as the A6. I'm going down to an A6 size for day-to-day stuff. And then using, again, plug for my Alexa, who's now synced to my calendar. And she tells me what I have to know and when I have to get up in the mornings. I love her. This is really is going to turn into a her <laughs> scenario, mm. isn't it? Um, Either that or hold the date Simone, for, <laughs> if you remember hold the wedding Simone. bells. <laughs> hold, hold the date for wedding bells next year. But I find it really nice to balance out both the digital as well as the analog planning systems. I've also invested in a new A5 notebook for just handwritten notes. I know I've touched on being, um, you know, incapable of organizing. Same here. I've dedicated Grid Bullet Journal into the first half of it must be a calendar. Um, And I've drawn the calendar up myself and I include everything up to and including the days that I pay rent and public holidays, uh, which are relevant for me because I still work them because I'm a nurse. But the second half of that book is a train wreck. Uh, it's, it's really just incapable. There's like six consecutive pages where I've started writing out the lyrics for a song and I've botched one letter, so I've just started oh, a new page. No. There's so much of that. Oh, that I, I know that poetry feel. This is why I do all my writing digitally because I just can't handle just looking. It's like, I've screwed this up. Time to start all over again. It, and, it, and it really like, there's a sense of, oh, this book was going to be the perfect book. No, I've screwed yeah. that up. You're putting too much demand on oh, yourself. Oh, definitely. I've gone through so many voice terms doing that. It's completely oh. irrational. Fear of the blank page and the new notebook. I just... No. I skip the first page of every new notebook to get over the fear of the new notebook. Oh, I always write my name and my contact yeah. details in case it gets lost. No, I skip the first page. Always. Oh, always okay. skip it. I thought that you would do your ink index on that page and then start writing. Nope. Nope. First That's page. a separate book. Let, let me have a look at this one. First page. Um, oh, it is an index in this particular notebook, but usually I have my name and my... Um, phone number and an email address and I notice that if this gets lost I do offer a reward mm. okay. Max I know you've got some I've plans I've given up on notebooks in general <laughs> like I use notepads exclusively because uh, commitment is like crazy I if I'm planning I'm doing macro rather than micro planning so I plan on a whiteboard and it's basically you know outlines of saving and spending goals for the entire year and there's like nothing more micro than that it's super broad scope yeah even on paper i think the only thing i have written down that's pertinent is a plan for a film script and nothing other than that (laughs) i think this year might be the year i go full corkboard with red string and just that was my goal it's too complicated that's the problem you set yourself up these really really tough goals and then when you fail to meet them you're like i'm gonna give it up altogether (laughs) 
I don't do a lot of like the organizational stuff. If anything, what I mostly do is mental health based stuff. Um, writing diaries and, and that sort Smart. of thing is more along the lines of all I really need is a yeah, specifically a for um, Claire Fontaine, and I will just fill that with thoughts for the night or day or whenever it comes up. It's dated at the particular time I start, and I just continue as long as I can or as long as I have to. I have gotten my hands on a um, Hobonichi Teko um, 2018. A6 size. Oh, okay. Um, I'm really not sure. And that starts on in about a week. Sharon is. Yeah. I, uh, She's sure. Yeah, okay. Sure. I know this because Denise got me one. And I will hopefully commit to it in this coming year. Mind you, whenever I commit to something, I get around about two days of sort of, oh, yeah, I should do that, and then immediately forgetting. So we'll see how it goes. Oh, try. So Hobonichi have or are about to release a new five-year diary oh. where you own it's like the loish term some lines a day book but it's in the a6 size so there's less commitment i just feel like that's just an even longer time to disappoint myself <laughs> by letting myself down that's, but, um, that's a book i'm definitely gonna scribble like pictures of an octopus in but that's fine because it's only got some lines on one page and the whole other page is blank oh okay with oh, grid so for you to yeah draw, draw octopus <laughs> Pie. Octopi. And owls. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Sometimes the same thing. Yeah. Speaking of the year ahead, I'm going to turn this over to Diana, who's going to talk about what's planned for the nib section in 2018. Diana, take it away. Awesome. So we entered July, which is when we started the, working on this podcast, with a lot of suggestions from people in FPO um, about what we should talk about, guests that we should bring in. And we've knocked off some of those suggestions, but we have a lot more to get through. And um, I'm actually really excited about some of them. Um, in particular, Sharon suggested series where we interview fountain pen collectors. Because some of us are users, but some of them, the members on FPO, are really hardcore collectors with in really impressive collections. So um, I'm really keen to talk to some of them, um, interview them on their collections, why they collect what they do, how they decide on their next purchases, and just really get into their mindsets. We're also looking to interview more local creators, retailers, and maybe some nib experts, some local nib meisters. Really actually we've had a few requests to talk to local ink makers you might know if you're in the u.s australia doesn't represent itself very much in terms of pen making but we have had a few ink makers who've broken out on the world scene including robert oster bookbinders toucan inks what's the other one van diemen's yeah van diemen's van diemen's blackstone and blackstone They're of really course good. but robert oster in particular i think he's gotten a lot of traction overseas and really introduced a lot of overseas people to our scene here in Australia. And we'd love to talk to more people So and do some interviews like we did with Jenny Saunders in our recent gift episode. Um, we'd also like to talk to more people who are knowledgeable about vintage pens, um, how to buy them, how to restore them, and who you should send them to to get restored or repaired. Um, so a, an FPO member, Barry, who um, has a lot of contacts with members in Melbourne. He's very into the scene and um, I think we'd like to talk to him maybe about the do's and don'ts as far as it, vintage pens goes because I think it's a very specialised area and there's not a lot of people who have very broad um, knowledge so it's something that I think we could all learn a lot from by talking to them. We'd also like to talk to artists about how they use their fountain pens and how they use ink. I think artists use them a little differently to the rest of us, maybe. And we all could all learn a bit from them as well. And if you have any other suggestions for us, please write to us. 
we love all your suggestions and it really saves us the heavy the work of actually coming up with ideas ourselves so <laughs> so um, if you have a suggestion an idea something you'd love to hear on the podcast just write to us at the nib section at gmail.com I mean we, st- we still have to structure and copy so you know we're not doing nothing but but you know it's it's also good to get ideas yeah no and last thing I want to thank everyone who's been a host a producer, a guest speaker who's shared their time, their suggestions, who's worked on this podcast with us. I think it's been a really fun journey, a lot of work at times, but I love all you guys who listen, all you guys who work on this with me, and have a great 2018. We're working hard on getting some new material to you guys soon. Well, guys, it's been a big year for us. Anyway, it's well half half a year since we've started. So our, our final recommendation section for the year. Again, not necessarily fountain pen related, but can be. Let's go around the table and start with you, Patrick. Well, while I'm busy not being a metalhead in certain ways, in terms of music, I have a specific love for sort of soundtracky sounding music, things like Two Steps from Hell, epic soundtracks and that sort of thing. But recently there's been a small group coming out of Sweden called Fractal Dreamers. They're on Bandcamp, they're on YouTube, they're a fairly small collection of songs that they're just bringing out and the name of it was called Everything From A Dream. It's the most recent album from them. It's rather a sort of a small compilation but it's a wide variety of really sort of uplifting, powerful music that is really great to work out to, really great to write to and it's a lot of good stuff that's no lyrics or whatever but it's really, really energetic and uplifting. Sort of, it's inspiring and it's just really, really enjoyable to listen to. Sharon, you got something to recommend? Yep, I have a person to recommend actually. Her name is Rin Lu. She is a tattoo artist who I recently had the pleasure of going under her gun. Absolutely, probably the softest touch <laughs> in terms of tattooing that I've ever experienced. And she has taken what was a pretty interesting doodle on my back and turned it into something a lot more creative than just a doodle. Not that I didn't love the doodle, I had it for 10 years. But it was finally time to get it covered up. All right. Uh, Max, do you want to recommend something for us? So I'm, as this releases, I will have just finished my vocational education in furniture making. And I reckon learning a hands-on skill is possibly the best thing you can do part-time. So if you're in a place that has trade colleges, see what courses they run. TAFE is amazing. I highly recommend it. My course ran two nights a week. And it's some of the most fun I've had all year has been learning how to build furniture. I'm going to recommend another Netflix show. It's called Big Mouth. Um, It stars Nick Kroll, uh, one of my absolute favorites, Jason Mantzoukas. Also, Maya Rudolph, who is incredible at all times, at any given time. It's an animated show. It's a show about kids hitting puberty and kind of just being struggling for control over themselves with uh, a hormone monster and a hormone monstrous is uh, how she's credited phenomenally funny show really great i've heard that some people are trying to get a band i can totally see why because it is confrontingly honest and very refreshingly funny i i really enjoyed it also cried Oh, okay. It seems like a recurring theme with you. Yeah. <laughs> You're always recommending stuff that you cry. Yeah, can I recommend Dead Poets Society? I do have a suggestion, after all. Um, oh. And it's something I know, I think you'll like. And you might have even seen it, Chuck. Um, it's called American Vandal. And I think it's on Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. It seems like something, it sounds like something that'd be up your alley. I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> American Vandal. Yes. Okay. Well, we've been uh, your hosts for the wrap-up episode. Thank you very much, Patrick, as always. 
guys uh, pulling double duty on uh, audio tech and hosting. It's been great so far, onwards and upwards, and so we shall rise. Thanks, Max, for uh, being on what is, I think, now a three-hour phone call <laughs> plus. Uh, but thank so you for good. joining us and hosting these episodes. I need to talk to people more often. <laughs> <laughs> Glad to oblige, Max. Thank you very much to Sharon, who um, I've, I know I've mentioned on previous episodes, has once again uh, offered her workspace for us to record in. It's a really great spot. I would offer my place, but everyone is allergic to cats. I'm uh, not. We Diana. can record at your place next Diana time. Diana Just and us I are, two, so we'll, do we yeah. we'll do the remote. We'll do the remote. It's hard to host a show when you're an absolute snot machine, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, as always, to Diana, who is our chief brainchild, our producer-in-chief as well, I suppose. I'm going to give another quick shout-out to uh, someone who never really gets to talk, but Denise, Denise Tang, who is our other audio tech. The very hard-working Denise. Yes, and never gets mentioned, but may may occasionally get a word in, maybe 10 over the course of our episode. It's mostly yelling at me to do something correctly for once. Well, uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, My name is Chucks Montano. Um, I was a relative fountain pen newbie starting with this podcast. I really joined getting advice for the next thing to buy, and when I found out that these guys were doing a podcast and I had a little bit of experience, I was very happy to help, and it's been a very interesting and entertaining experience listeners i hope you guys stay tuned for next year's work and uh until then ink well future episodes of this podcast can be found at the nibsection.com and wherever you listen to podcasts hop onto itunes rate us review us recommend us to your friends want to share your thoughts suggestions feedback we'd love to hear from you email us at the nibsection at gmail.com you can also comment at us on the Nib Section Facebook page or at the Nib Section on Twitter. The Nib Section is the official podcast of Fountain Pens Oceania. Our producers this episode were Diana Dai, Chucks Montano, Patrick Antolovich, and Denise Tang. Recording and editing was done by Patrick Antolovich and Denise Tang. Our music was composed by Michael Pierce. Our logo was designed by Will H. Smith with artwork by Melissa Graff. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>